Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 264. 264! Whoa! I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is Valerie George. Hello, Valerie! Hello, hello! You know I always like the shows better when you and I are together. I know, they're so much more fun. Exactly. Well, on today's show, this is an all audio show. Can you believe that? We had a ton of audio questions <laughs> in the in the backlog, and I thought, hey, let's just do audio questions today. So today, we're going to be answering your questions that include, are multi-chrome eyeshadows really more expensive, and re- what makes them work? We don't usually do uh, questions about color cosmetics, so be excited about that one. <laughs> We're going to do what ingredients is used uh, to cause lip plumping, and is that safe to do every day? Does the Keeps.com website and product work to prevent hair loss? And finally, is sodium lauryl sarcosinate really more gentle? But before we get to that, how about some of that uh, famous inane chit-chat that we're so famous for? Uh, Valerie, I know you had a goal to read 52 books this year. What are you reading right now? I am reading an incredible book about the smells of the universe. And, what? Uh, yes. The is, it, smell... is, it, is it rotten eggs? Because I always hear it's like <laughs> sulfur or something, right? No, it's just like the, the chemistry of smell and the science behind all the odors we uh, perceive in this world. It's really, uh, really incredible. And I'm also reading a book about textiles called The Fabric of Civilization. Wow, so interesting. You had tipped me off to that book last year about the five drinks that shape society, which was fascinating. Yeah, incredible. I'm so happy coffee and beer were some of them, and wine, (laughs) and liquor, and And water, and (laughs) Coca-Cola. So <laughs> that's right. That was, Love it. Was, yeah, it was a it was a pretty good book. Well, you know, speaking of odors, I just planted a garden. I got my garden just started, and uh, we got this like mushroom compost, and that is odiferous. I have to tell you. <laughs> what does Porch Kitty think? How's he doing, by the way? Porch Kitty stopped by this afternoon. Actually, I got rid of. My, I have no foster kitty, so all I have is Porch Kitty now, and he is deathly afraid of people that I discovered. And like, even like I look out the window and he sees me, he'll run away. I mean, I'm not even gonna come. In. But you know, I've only been feeding him for like six months. You'd think the cat. Would... <laughs> but you know, it's really nice about having a an outdoor cat that you feed. You don't have to clean up after it. You know, I I don't have a I don't have a litter box or anything. So. Nice. Yeah, I wonder if Porch Kitty thinks your house dad. <laughs> well, he does stop by my house like three times, and boy, this cat eats a lot. <laughs> so, but he keeps the rats away, so that's good. <laughs> oh, well, glad he's doing good. He is. I posted a picture of him on my Instagram, so if anybody follows me there, you can see that. I am the joggler. Do you know what this episode is, Perry? Do you know no, what this what episode is? This episode? is? Yeah, it is our last episode together for our 100th anniversary, which is our next episode. Can you believe we have been together for 100 episodes? That is amazing. This is our penultimate 
uh, 100 episode. Uh, so next next episodes are going to be our 100 together. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now that there is have been amazing. a couple solo episodes, but really since I've joined the show, uh, this is the last one, and we hit 100. I super excited. Yeah. It's been so much fun. It has been a lot of fun, and I have to say, you know, uh, th- we pretty much shut the beauty brains down until uh, I was talking to you uh, at some, uh, what was that, Cosmoprof or something? <laughs> we like, were at Cosmoprof hey. Las Vegas, and you were like, right. I'm going to let it go, and I was like, what? The beauty brains just can't be let go, and it can't be let we go. <laughs> decided to do it together, so That's here right. we are. You, brought, you, you helped bring it back. All right, shall we move on to some beauty science news? Do-do-do-do-do-do. Well, Valerie, I saw this story about a brand, and usually we don't talk about just the news as a brand coming out, but it was this K-18 biomimetic hair science debuts in salons. Wow. Um, And, yeah, fascinating, blah, blah, blah. They have this, uh, they aim to change the hair game with leave-in molecular repair hair masks and professional leave-in hair mist and treatments. I wonder if any brand launches and says, you know what, I don't want to revolutionize and change the game. I, I just want to be <laughs> a true. normal brand launching. It's like Maybelline. Their tagline is, maybe she's born with it. And it's like, maybe it's maybe It's like, no, they weren't born with it. I mean, like, come <laughs> on. That is that is so true. And you know what uh, I find most uh, amazing about it? Everybody's revolutionizing, and uh, all the products are still the same as they were 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but but this actually, the launch is not what really sparked my interest in this story. What sparked my interest was that their claim. Okay. And so their claim was that they're formulated, and it's the typical free-from claim, so they formulated without sulfates, parabens, phthalates, silicones, artificial colors, formaldehyde, formaldehyde donors, and no sodium chloride. And I say to myself, when does sodium Uh, chloride become a bad ingredient? You know, Perry, I hear this all the time, and I just need to pause for one second and go get my soapbox and climb up on (laughs) it. I get so irate when I hear this claim because... I don't understand why people think sodium chloride is bad for the hair. I, uh, my mentor, uh, used to work for one of the world's largest salon professional brands and they invested, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year in research. I'm not even kidding. And they actually had people who their sole job was just to understand hair and learn about hair and research hair. And it literally had nothing to do with product. It was pure fundamental research. And my mentor said, hey, I'm going to like a reunion thing. This was a few years ago. And he said, is there anything you want me to ask this keratin person? Because I'm always like, hey, can you ask keratin person this question? And I was like, yeah, could could you find out why people don't like sodium chloride for hair? And even my mentor was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it's a thing. People don't like it. So he goes to this party and I just picture them standing around uh, holding drinks because that's what he told me they were doing. Sure, And he asked keratin person, hey, do you have any idea why people think sodium chloride is bad for hair? And he said the whole group burst out loud laughing. Like, (laughs) 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 because they were like, what? And they were like, no, it's, no, that's like not a thing. And uh, anyway, I just thought it was funny that they just like burst out loud laughing because it's like, 
you know, such a nimbus thing for like someone to think. But, you know, I get asked this question all the time. Oh, can we say? Yeah, where does this, where does this come from? I mean, people, this is certainly out there among the, well, let's say uh, among the non-science people, there's certainly this notion that sodium chloride must be bad somehow. Well, like, where did that come from? (laughs) When when does salt get bad? After further discussion with Keratin Person and other uh-huh. people in the industry, it they believe it basically has stemmed from the Brazilian straightener industry. Okay. And everyone knows that when you get a Brazilian style blowout, not necessarily from the company, and by the way, I used to get the ones from the company, they tell you basically like don't wash your hair because it, you know, will revert uh reverse. Sure, hair. sure. And so I'm guessing that maybe it's a geographical uh, thing. This is what the people postulated that, um, you know, because the ocean has sodium chloride in it, it has salt in it, it's salt water, they just say, oh, well, salt is bad for your hair. And therefore, this shampoo doesn't have sodium chloride in it. It's better for your hair. Use this, you know, Brazilian straightening system, shampoo and conditioner no sodium chloride, great for your hair. What people forget is water is horrible for hair. And I really think it's the water that is the challenge, not the sodium chloride. And, you know, I noticed I went and looked at K18. I've heard of them a lot. They don't have a shampoo and it's easier for them to say no sodium chloride because that is typically typically where it's used, right? It helps uh, thicken shampoos. You can also use it in emulsions or cosmetics uh, to help change particle size. But they don't have a shampoo, so easy for them to say it's not present. Well, yeah, and then they say, oh, no sulfates. And I'm like, no sulfates? Yeah, no kidding. You don't use sulfates unless you're using a shampoo. Like, what hair mask would ever use a sulfate? That's right. I thought this brand was founded by science because uh, it's definitely not very scientifically founded. Uh, I guess they have marketing people well, working for them too. So It, it requires marketing to sell products. <laughs> yeah, it's they not always, the claims are not always science. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, but let's say they did have a shampoo and they advertised no sodium chloride in it. I'll, I'll tell you why I don't like that. Because even on the surfactant level, for example, if you have cocamidopropyl betaine in a shampoo, you right. have sodium chloride present in your shampoo. It's an impurity sure. present in cocamidopropyl betaine. So uh, that's why I don't like it. Additionally, like sodium chloride, you know, those ions can be found in your tap water. I, I just think it's yeah. really incredible incredibly misleading uh to advertise that and i refuse to let anyone make that claim (laughs) where i can well (laughs) no i'm glad to hear it uh you know good luck k18 biomimetic hair science but uh you know stop saying sodium chloride free there's nothing wrong with sodium chloride (laughs) it's great and all of all views my own and not affiliated with my employer (laughs) (laughs) that's right All right, so we uh, move on to beauty science questions. Like I said, Valerie, today we're doing all audio questions. Fantastic. Hey, uh, I've been a listener for years. I remember when it was either right brain or left brain. Started out as the host with Perry, and then came Randy. Anyway, I've been listening for a long time. Just wanted to let you know that. Um, my question has to do with multi-chrome eyeshadows. If you go on Instagram, there are a ton of indie brands that are selling these multi-chrome eyeshadows. And to me, the price is just astronomically high. 
when you ask them why it's so high, they say it's because the price of the ingredients, it's a lot higher to, to the ingredient cost is a lot higher than the normal ingredients in normal eyeshadows. I was wondering if that's true. And, um, what is it about these eyeshadows that cause them to change color? How does that happen? Thanks. Perry, what do you think based on your experience wearing multi-chromatic eyeshadows? <laughs> well, first I have to say, wow, she was listening to the show before Randy? <laughs> that was the old right brain. Yeah, we actually did five shows. Me and Right Brain did five shows before Randy came on. And uh, Randy Are those was both actually... of your personalities like you and then Right Brain was your other? No, actually Right Brain at that time was uh, the character that became Cerebellum. And, nice. And she and she sometimes still will come on the show, but uh, so well, uh, she's been listening a long time. Sandra, thank you so much for listening, and I apologize it's taken us so long to get to this question. But you know what? This just demonstrates we do eventually get to all of the questions that are sent in. We do, um, and and Frank can attest to that. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, I have to say uh, to your question about what do I think about uh, the multi all the multi-chrome eyeshadows, I've, I, I've not used multi-chrome eyeshadows. So, so oh, let good. me get a, a sense of this is what you put on an eyeshadow and you look at it straight on. It's one color and maybe you turn another way and it's a different color. That's Yeah, there's a little shimmer, sparkle and color shift to it. So a lot of times... Uh, these pigments will just sparkle and reflect because of physics, right? Light light comes down, hits the sparkle, and reflects off, and you see it. But in this case, you not only see a sparkle, it changes color based on the direction of the viewer. I gather it's something like using a, a coated mica pigment, right? Yeah. So I actually not only have a bit of experience as a consumer wearing pigments like this, not too often, though, because I'm not a very flashy person, uh, but I have experience working with them. And I know no one wants to hear this, but these brands are not lying to you. Uh, these types right. of... <laughs> I well, know, you know what? So... I, I actually believe that too, because uh, first of all, when you're a small brand, um, it's going to cost you a lot more for ingredients because you don't get uh, economies of scale. As I said, you don't get to buy a big bulk, so you got to buy small batches, and that's going to make the ingredients cost more. And just dyes cost a lot. Yeah, yeah. So these actually are very, very specialized pigments, and they're made up of multiple different layers, but really the fundamental base of uh, these specific uh, multi-chromatic shifting pigments that you're talking about, in my experience, are calcium sodium borosilicate. And borosilicate, they call it like a type of glass due to its structure, its crystalline structure and platelet structure. They're like very little tiny uh, flat plates. Mm -hmm. Uh, They make up the bulk of the pigment. And what they do is they take other materials that have offer some sort of electron shift like tin oxide or um, you know sometimes titanium dioxide is used depending on what uh, properties are needed and there's many more uh, materials that can be used but they basically coat the calcium sodium borosilicate in a little layer and when light hits these pigments typically if you have uh, a pigment light will hit it and reflect off of it. And you'll see um, 
see one color and then you might uh, see a little bit of a different shimmer if a different material is used. Uh, but the way in which these, uh, what they're called interference pigments work is that mm -hmm. you have this basic platement, platelet, you put a highly refractive material layered onto the carrier platelet, and based on the different thickness of the material applied, you will get a different color appearance. And right. when you uh, have multiple layers, you may get multiple superimposed light waves and you'll see this shift. And it, it really is complex to make these. And as a result, they're very expensive. I actually uh, have a friend, uh, they own a manufacturing facility and you name a high-end cosmetics brand and they formulate for them. So sometimes we just talk shop, uh, business, you know, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And this person was telling me about a customer and they wanted an eyeshadow purely based on these multi-chromatic pigments. And the yeah. price per kilo is astonishing. And even though a little eyeshadow is just a very tiny little pan, um, it's very, very expensive. I mean, I'm talking on the magnitude of hundreds, if not thousands of dollars more per kilo, depending on the multi-chromatic pigment, uh, to have that in the formulation. So when these indie brands tell you, they're more expensive. Um, they're not kidding. It's not just like a little more expensive. It's a lot more expensive. Like when I heard right. the price, I was like, what? Do you have the decimal in the wrong place? <laughs> right. And I'm like, lower the use level. You know, you're like shouting back to the lab. So um, no, but they're they're really cool. Uh, they've been used in, in, um, in car paints, uh, nail polishes. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. Car you see it in cars, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and uh, that's been around like since for sure the 90s, maybe the 80s. So it's been around a while. I think we're seeing it trending in personal care, but the, the price is still a problem. Well, I imagine that uh, it's still kind of a niche product, which is why, you know, large companies don't really carry that kind of product. And it's why it's smaller companies are the ones who sell them and make them because they can handle a niche product. I remember uh, at the company I was at, if if you're if you were launching a SKU that wasn't going to sell, you know, uh, at least ten million dollars a year, they didn't really want to even do anything, with it, you know, mm -hmm. so I'd. I don't imagine the demand for multi-chrome eyeshadows is super high, uh, but for a small company, you know, it could be a it could be a good product for them. Yeah, and I think that's where the, you know these indie brands can afford it a tiny bit more, uh, just based right. on the scale that they're producing, their price point. Definitely in the more mass market cosmetics, it's very difficult to achieve uh, this multi chromatic effect where you're getting, you know, reflectance and transmittance colors and, and the flip flopping. So yeah, very niche for sure. Um, but they're very cool and your legs not being pulled when they tell you, holy cow, this stuff's expensive. So yeah, it's a fascinating technology. All right, let's move on to our next question. This comes to us from Priscilla. Hi, Valerie and Perry. I'm curious to see if you know anything about this company, Keeps.com. They are a hair loss treatment company. My husband's friend recently started using it and his hair is growing. So my husband decided to sign up for it. But upon his first shipment, he then Googled all the different side effects. So now he's apprehensive about taking it. I'm telling him, don't take it. 
But I was like, let me give Valerie and Perry a call. So curious to know what your thoughts are on this company. Thank you. Bye. Perry, do you know what I love about Priscilla's question? What's that? She mentioned my name first. (laughs) Yes, I love that too. Thanks, Priscilla. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So Priscilla, thank you so much for giving us this audio question so we can get it on the show. You know, hair loss is one of those issues that we get a lot of questions about. And unfortunately, there are not a lot of good uh, answers beyond, you know, take minoxidil or Propecia. And uh, so when looking at this Keeps product, um, what do we have there, Valerie? Well, they're using finasteride, which is a generic form of Propecia, which, you know, great news, is an approved drug by the FDA as um, an agent for treating, uh, you know, a few other things. I think first and foremost, it was uh, discovered for tr- treating benign prostate hyperplasia. Uh, and they also discovered it treats uh, male pattern baldness, also known as mm-hmm. androgenic alopecia. And um, it was uh, came into use in the 90s. So if you want to grow hair back, this is one of the drugs you can uh, comfortably use, knowing that it has FDA approval. And they did deem it safe for use. Now, with any drug, uh, which I actually think it's better that they're disclosing the side effects to you, is they give you the side effects. It's gone through multiple stages of clinical trials. They've done all the safety testing, and it's just their due diligence to alert you of who shouldn't take this medicine, what side effects should you watch for, and they just disclose everything. And that's really their obligation when giving you an over-the-counter drug product. Yeah, absolutely. This is a product that uses uh, an ingredient that has been approved by the FDA. And now you see approved by FDA often. Oh, sometimes it's a scam. But no, usually what uh, a company is doing when they say approved by the FDA, that means that it's approved to be safe. And it's usually a device like that laser hair thing that grows. <laughs> that's supposed to, It's a laser that's supposed to make your hair grow. Uh, that doesn't actually make your hair grow, but they'll say it's approved by the FDA. And that just means that it's it's not going to hurt you if you're zapping yourself with this laser. So it's approved for safety. That doesn't mean it's effective. But an ingredient like this, Propecia or the finasteride, it has actually been approved by the FDA because it's been clinically tested. It's had a drug application, and it's approved. And so... Not approved just for being safe, which is a big criteria. It's approved for being effective. Right. This one is safe and effective. Now, that effective part is where the you know that's where it gets a little bit dicey. That doesn't just because it says it's safe and effective. That doesn't mean it's effective for everybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, what it is is you have to have male pattern baldness, and you know we've talked about lots of reasons that people can be losing hair. And some of them, you know, are uh, stress related, hormone related. Um, You know, they do even say on their website, you know, this medicine might not work for you. It really depends on what your reason uh, for hair loss is. And uh, they're fully, fully disclosing that. Um, You know, when we're talking about male pattern baldness, uh, you know, we're talking about a very specific mechanism within the body that is leading to this permanent, um, or I guess in this case, uh, temporary hair loss. So important to understand why you have uh, thinning or thinning hair or are balding. Just to give you an idea, I was looking at some of the research on this ingredient, and 
it turns out about 60, it's going to be effective in about 65% of the people who try this, which means 35% of people who try it, it's not going to work at all. But that's about the same level as a minoxidil. Oh, it is? Yeah, yeah. Minoxidil is about 65% effective. Wow. Okay. Well, so Priscilla, I hope that answers your question. Uh, You know, they are reporting the side effects, not because it's dangerous. It has been proven to be safe, but you do have to understand that there are side effects. And I would recommend for your husband to consult his physician and make sure that they think it's safe for him and he can give it a try. Yeah. I mean, those, uh, those side effects are uh, real and they they uh, apply to a certain percentage of people that will use this so maybe some some people have no side effects other people will have these i have to say to yourself like is it worth is the risk worth it and only you can answer that or only you and your husband can answer that i mean i'm losing a little bit of hair on the top of my head but you know i'm like 52 and i'm like yeah, I probably have enough hair anyway. <laughs> I don't need that old hair back. <laughs> well, I'm thinning, and I probably would consider trying something. But my mine's oh. genetic. Every woman in my family's bald. So, oh, well, but anyway, keeps as a come proof. on. You're not you're not even close to bald. I mean, you've got a lot of hair. I know, but it's it's thinning pretty bad, um, oh. and I, I know the highway that I'm on with my mom, my aunt, my sister. So, oh. uh, but by the way, I do just want to point out. Um, you know, I'm talking about me, a female uh, thinning. Uh, Keeps is really for him. Uh, Propecia right. is really only approved um, in males. So has, um, has not been approved for females. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're Minox- biolog- Minoxidil has though, but Minoxidil, yes, that has been yeah. um, approved for use at a lower dose in women. Yeah, I always wondered. You know that eyelash plumping stuff that Revitalast or uh, that yeah. Latisse. Uh, I wonder why that's never been applied to human hair. I mean, I'm sure they've tried it, right? It grows eyelash hair. Um, yeah, um, you know, I think it's uh, it's interesting. I, I bet you people have put it on their head. Um, the mechanism of action is unknown in that active ingredient. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't really seen why it works on eyelashes and why it doesn't work on human head hair. But, uh, you know, maybe it's just a fact of um, proving safety versus, you know, they know that it works on eyelashes. It's substantiated for eyelashes and they just don't want to say, well, eyelashes are hair, right? So throw it on your (laughs) hair. So, uh, and maybe it's in progress. I'm sure, um, you know, the parent company of Latisse, Allergan. Oh, absolutely. This is a huge cash cow for them. So. Absolutely. I mean, if you could, if you could develop something that actually grew people's hair. That would be huge. Yeah, I'm sure they're doing the work. And Latisse was only approved after a clinical trial in 2008. So right. um, clinical trials take a super long time. So maybe yeah. we are on to something. We'll see. All right. Uh, let's move on to the next question. And this one is about lip plumpers. Hi, Beauty Brains. This is Bisma speaking from Toronto. I absolutely love your podcast and especially the intro music. It it really gets me moving. Um, The question I have today is in regards to the lip plumping products in the market. I wanted to understand what ingredient is being used to cause the plumping and also if it's bad for the lips on your skin if you're using it on a daily or more frequent basis thank you 
Lip plumpers. Have you used lip plumpers, uh, Valerie? Uh, the real question is, have you used lip plumpers? <laughs> I, I, uh, I think I probably have tried lip plumpers just to see what it feels like. But it's not yeah. like a every Saturday night thing for me. <laughs> you like, plump my lips. So I have the curse. Uh, you know, it really is just a, uh, a curse, this thin upper lip that we have. So I definitely have tried lip plumpers, not like injections or anything like that. Sure, sure. Uh, not only am I a little shy to go there, but Mr. Cosmetic Chemist won't let me. So, um... <laughs> So you're saying you have a thin upper lip? Uh, I do. Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, probably compared to average people, you're. You're. It's a it's, little bit thin. I said. And it's only going to get thinner as I age. So uh, really, no, it's, a, it's a genetic hallmark. The upper lip is a genetic hallmark uh, in my family. So I've tried these temporary lip plumping products, and you know the thing is, they all work by different mechanisms, and they don't work for everyone, right. uh, for a couple reasons. So. I, I think the ones that work immediately and that have an immediate effect are causing an increased circulation, increased blood flow um, into the lips. And they do that for, through a variety of uh, modes. It could be a variety of a pepper extract, right, ginger, like a maybe it's like cinnamaldehyde, methyl- that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Methyl nicotine is another one where uh, you can elicit a, a nervous response and a a microcirculation response into the lips right. when it's applied and you'll get this immediate plumping effect. Other ingredients take time to work. So, um, you know, some suppliers, you know, for example, one that produces a synthetic peptide called palmitoyl tripeptide 38, they say that over time, this peptide goes in the lips and increases native hyaluronic acid production uh, huh. within the lips and again this is all the stuff uh you know suppliers are saying of course uh, there's another supplier that says uh their ingredient gives a long lasting lip plump in just four weeks so basically you have four to, like... weeks whoa <laughs> i know that's a lot of uh, a lot of lip balm buy two tubes if you're <laughs> if you're using this uh, and that's a really long uh ingredient hydroxymethoxyphenylpropylmethylmethoxybenzofuran uh incredibly not sexy sounding but there's many ingredients like this and they all work through different mechanisms but the one that typically provide an immediate plumping effect um are typically based on you know uh, methyl nicotine various pepper extracts ginger things that sensitize and increase uh circulation and the 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 counter irritant essentially it's an irritant and then the irritation on your uh, your lips will your body will just react to that irritation. It'll go by sending blood there and you know making it red and and, and swollen. That's kind of and the what thing happens. is, everyone has different sensitivity levels to these yeah. types of things. So I typically don't respond well to those. Like they'll work the first time, and mm-hmm. then the more I use it, the more it stops working because your body becomes less sensitive to it. Um, it's like using something with a cooling sensation too. You can either be like super responsive and like, oh my gosh, this is so cooling. Or you cannot respond at all. And you're like, right. I don't feel anything. And that's just everyone's different uh, nervous uh, responses. So uh, I have a friend who responds really well to these types of immediate actives and her lips yeah. get so, so bright red. So beautiful, and then I'll put it on, and I look like I got you know really chintzy lip plumpers. So, 
Now, oh, well. to, the, to that other part of the question, is it bad to do this every day? I, I don't think it's bad per se. I don't think you're going to have any negative health effects. But I do yeah, think Yeah, I don't think over- there's any... There's no evidence that doing this every day is going to lead to some permanent damage. I I, I found no evidence of that. Yeah, it, and if that were the case, there would be usage limitations if those were well-publicized right. pieces of information. But I will say, I think over time, you just get like kind of used to it, right? It's like yeah. eating hot sauce, you know? After right, your a body's while, like, hey, your lips yeah, don't okay, burn no. anymore. You're like, oh, I got this. <laughs> Lips don't burn in the kitchen. I'm sorry, that's that's, uh, something else. Is that really a song? (laughs) No, it's uh, from the Jeffersons. We were moving on up. Oh, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, I I don't really know what's happening right now. But, (laughs) rest assured, you could use these as much as you want to, uh, but just be aware your lips may become used to them uh, for the immediate impact. But the other ones... All we know right now, Valerie, is that your lips are still thin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, they no, are. they, it's, they it's look genetic. good. They look good on screen. <laughs> At least the genetic. bottom one. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. Shall we go on to the last question? Let's do it. Hi, Perry and Valerie. I'm Xiong, all the way from Nepal. And I really, really, really love your soul. And this soul has literally helped me a lot from many different aspects and today uh, I want to ask a question about um, cleanser so I was using CeraVe foaming cleanser and I had a few acne on my cheeks and forehead Um, I also had a few skin rashes so whenever I used to use that CeraVe cleanser my skin used to be more irritated more sensitive then I went to a dermatologist and she told me not to use that cleanser and she she had prescribed me a cleanser called Episoft cleansing lotion and uh, it has a sodium laurel sarcosinate it doesn't create any foam it's very gentle and ever since I have started using this I have already completed 10, 10 of this so uh, my skin has healed and it has become better uh, so my question is is sodium laurel surf, uh, sarcosinate is uh, gentler than other surfactants I just want to know from you guys thank you so much I really 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 like your soul, love your soul. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. Well, Perry, do you have a lot of experience working with this surfactant? I have worked with this surfactant uh, a fair amount uh, because, uh, you know, typically when uh, I was working on the VO5 line, the Tresemme line, Nexus line, and we use sulfates, of course, uh, sodium lauryl sulfate, sodium uh, lauryl ether sulfate, or sodium laureth sulfate. But whenever our marketing people said, oh, we want a gentler formula, we'd always look to the sodium laurel sarcosinate because everyone knows sarcosinates are, in fact, less irritating than sodium laurel sulfates. Unfortunately, as uh, Peldon said, um, they are also less foamy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, I think it's relative, right? So in the sulfate-free world... um, you know, they they tend not to foam as well as conventional right. sulfated surfactants uh, do. 
Um, the sarcosinates uh, are definitely very, very mild compared to SLES. And For in sure. fact, this one has been demonstrated, of course, by suppliers to be shown as like a counter irritant to SLES. Uh, but it's definitely, well, you know, it's supplier, uh, I'm, supplier I'm, I'm, data. Yeah, I mean, that's what they say. But <laughs> I'm, yeah. just, I'm just <laughs> passing the info on. Okay. Um, you know, and you can use this surfactant in a couple ways. Like it's so mild. Um, you know, you can use it in a cleansing pepper preparation where it's very, mm-hmm. very mild. Um, it's actually used in toothpaste because toothpaste, you want to foam a tiny bit. You don't want a ton of foam. That would be weird, right? If your yeah. toothpaste was like foaming out of your mouth. Well, I mean, they still use sodium lauryl sulfate in some toothpaste. <laughs> they do. They do. Yeah, it's a- uh, but you can actually also use this um, in an emulsion to help stabilize emulsions. Sure. Um, which it's got I th- emulsification, yeah. Which I think is where Episoft um, is using it to help, uh, you know, stabilize this uh, product has satyral alcohol in it. So it's... Uh, uh-huh. It's a cream-based cleanser, and you want a little bit of surfactant in there, but it can also help stabilize emulsions. You can use it in uh, various liquid makeup products. So, um, But in those instances, you wouldn't want foaming. So you, you would use very, very uh, little levels to help stabilize everything. But yeah, I mean, it's a super gentle cleanser. Uh, if you needed a Definitely. good cleanse, I don't think it would really be able to do the heavy lifting for you. Probably too gentle for that. Right. I mean, if you work in like a coal mine, you're not going to use sodium lauryl sulfate to clean your, or sodium lauryl sarcosinate to clean your face, right? Yeah. PSA, <laughs> we'll have to let the people in the coal mines know. Right, right. That. It's not, yeah. <laughs> however, uh, I like for a daily cleanser to just get the kind of uh, dirt off of the face, uh, it, it works perfectly fine for that. And it is definitely more gentle. Now, the fact that your skin had healed uh, over time since you just switched your cleanser, uh, there are certainly might have been some uh, irritation that you're getting if you were using a uh, like a sodium lauryl sulfate based cleanser. Although sodium lauryl sulfate based cleansers can also be formulated in a way where they are gentle, Cetaphil actually uses sodium lauryl sulfate. Do you but know sodium they- lauryl sulfate has an EWG score of one? They corrected it. People don't like oh. to talk about it, though. <laughs> right, of course not. But the but the point there is is yeah, it's irritating, and it is used as a positive irritant whenever you're doing like a moisturization study. But if you don't leave it on and you add other ingredients like cetyl alcohol, for example, uh, you can actually counteract those uh, effects. And it's not irritating, so you can make it. So depending on how you formulate it. But the bottom line here is that, yeah, indeed, sodium lauryl sarcosinate is less, it's less foaming, but it is more gentle. And it could have, that could have uh, been part of why your skin healed. But also, just remember, uh, there are three things that can happen whenever you do a treatment. First, uh, it can get better. Uh, second, it can get worse. <laughs> Let and me guess third, what the last one is. There could be no change. No change. <laughs> exactly. There it is. So oh. well, well, when you do something and something happens, it may or may not be related. Uh, maybe it is. Uh, yeah. But indeed, sodium lauryl sarcosinate is more gentle. Oh, boy, Perry. Sometimes you are just too much. <laughs> too much of the muchness. <laughs> well, you know what's too much? Uh, it turns out we're out of questions. Oh, gosh. Well, that's it for today, everybody. Thanks again for listening. 
Yeah, everyone, the Beauty Brains are on Patreon, and we do prioritize Patreon questions. So if you want to join us on Patreon and get our uh, get the free content that we give for patrons only and get your questions prioritized to be answered, go over to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. If you get a chance, can you go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review? That will help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. Speaking of questions, if you have a question and you want to hear your voice on the show, just record it on your smartphone and then email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at thebeautybrains. And we have a Facebook page. Yeah, and sometimes we actually post something on the Facebook page. <laughs> but I'm trying to be more active on Instagram. And actually, Perry, I think it's so funny when people are like, hey, Perry. And I'm like, I run the Instagram. <laughs> but you know Mallory what? It's does. fine. We're a team. We are a team. We are a team. And <laughs> an excellent team, 99 shows in. <laughs> and we have a big episode planned for next time. So tune in. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens. <laughs>